Scrubbing In with Becca Tilly, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, everybody. We are scrubbing. <laughs> Everyone waved to no one. We're scrubbing in. It's me. It's Tanya. Hi. We have Brad back in the building. Yay. Hi, guys. And Mark's in here, too, but he stepped out of the room for a reason. Yeah. For some reason. Um, We had a lot of requests to have you back on the show. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Yes. People, like, really enjoyed your presence on the podcast. Well, I enjoyed being here, so I'm happy I could come back today. You have a really good energy about you. <laughs> <laughs> vibes don't lie thanks yeah well, thanks guys they're lie. vibing they can feel my vibes through the radio waves yeah yeah i think i feel like people can hear tanya's vibes through the radio you know like i think i could feel them when i when even like right as i kind of met her if i heard her on the radio i told her i was like there's something about your voice that like brings people in and i think that's what people really relate to with tanya and i think that they had the same thing with you when you were on. Oh, that's nice. Well, that's hi, nice. everyone. I'm happy to be back. I'm so scrubbed in right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't be in. more scrubbed in. <laughs> I was telling Becca that we should actually get like some sort of like mask and like some gloves to have people like when we have guests like actually scrub in. Well, you can't have a mask because then you wouldn't be able to hear people properly oh just for like a photo or something just for a photo you're like something to cover their mouths so yeah. it's like really hard to hear them yeah because we don't get enough you know sometimes people are like i can't hear the the volume's weird or whatever i'm like imagine adding a surgical, a surgical mask, mask. <laughs> um well the reason why we actually um had you back on this week is because um as a lot of you know uh, in the news this last week um it, it was actually a really hard week for me personally because i know demi lovato really well and when all the news was going down when the news broke she um she was sent to the hospital of an overdose and I literally, when I tell you that my heart was in like my stomach, I felt like my heart was in my stomach because at that time I didn't know what was happening, if she was going to be okay. Like it sounded really, really bad. And I don't know, you know, you're reading all these updates and like my brain just goes to like this scary space. And like, I know that this is something that she's been struggling with for a really long time. She's been really open about it. She's been an advocate about this for, since I've known her. And so, um, it's been, I bit was in a really weird spot last week and I think it's been on a lot of people's minds. Um, and I know that you have a really amazing story because you are also a recovering addict mm -hmm. and yes. you deal with it daily. I do still. And you've been 17 years sober and I wanted to have you on cause I thought it would be a good way to talk about, um, what's going on, you know, cause it, it brought up a lot of, it brought a lot to light, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of conversations that people aren't necessarily having drug overdose. It's scary. Right. And it's real. Mm -hmm. And it's happening to a lot of people in our lives. It could be your brother, your mom, your sister, your best friend, your coworker. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are struggling with this. So I kind of wanted you to open up about your story. Yeah. And um, kind of, I guess, where do you start? Like, how did it start with you? Well, first and foremost, I'll just start off by saying I am not an expert on addiction mm -hmm. i'm um the the thing that i can talk about is my experience dealing with my addiction um so where it started for me was um i got sober when i was 23 years old and i've been sober for 17 years uh, may 3rd is my uh sober birthday and um 
you know, things just got like very out of control for me very quickly. I didn't think I had a drinking problem at all. I thought I had a drug problem. Um, I was a like a club rat in Toronto. Like I, you know, ecstasy, special K, cocaine. Those were kind it's, of my. How does that just? They just yeah. offer it to you, and then you're like, okay, and then you just kind of go from there. Um. Yeah, I mean, you buy it from drug dealers. <laughs> but, but I don't think people realize like, like how, yeah. how accessible it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can find anything you're looking for. Like, you'll find whatever it is that that you know, whatever your drug of choice is. You find those people that have it, or and you also create groups of people. You surround yourself with people who are doing the same thing. So, you know, I was young. I was out like at clubs, like dancing, like you and I all we do, and. Um, but I didn't I didn't realize that it was uh, such a problem until I started doing like everyday things and wanting to do them high. So like oh. normal things like near the end of my using, I remember I was wrapping Christmas presents and snorting lines of cocaine at the same time. Wow. So it got like, you know, it got dark and it got dark really quickly because I think drugs help to bring me to my knees, quote, you know faster mm -hmm. because um i didn't think i had a problem drinking but drinking was like the gateway to everything for me so i would drink first and then i would get to a point where i was feeling drunk and then i would start doing drugs so i could like and then i could drink longer and like party right, and then right. it was it's like, like a cycle mm -hmm. yeah and then it was like a crazy cocktail of like you know i would do i would drink and then i would do cocaine and then I would do like go out dancing and then the ecstasy would come in and then I would do special K with the ecstasy and oh. it was just like this constant right, kind of you had to... chemical yeah yeah figuring it out so at what point at what point in all of this how do you realize like I have a problem I need to stop well I tried to kill myself so I um I uh tried to uh kill myself with Xanax. I took actually, sorry, it was Valium. I tried to take, um, I, I took a bunch of Valium and my boyfriend at the time and I had gotten into a fight and the, it got a little violent and the cops, I called the cops in like a totally manic state. And I called my mom at the same time. And my mom drove for like 45 minutes at three o'clock in the morning. The cops were there. I had, you know, was starting to kind of doze off. I, I didn't really know what was going on. My mom took me from the house. The police left and I basically like slept for two days straight. And when I woke up, they wanted to put me in rehab. And I said that I didn't want to go to rehab. And um, I don't know why. I just didn't want to go. And I had a friend who was in AA who I went to school with. And she took me to my first meeting. And um, I've been staying sober that way ever since. Wow. So you never you never went into a rehab facility mm -hmm. or anything? No. And so you were 23 when you got sober. How old were you when it started? Um, I started dabbling with like um, acid and marijuana and booze in when I was about like 16. So I was like yeah. a rave baby. So I was going to like raves and um, that's when I first tried ecstasy. I definitely, I 1000% remember the first night I tried cocaine and I knew that it was going to be like downhill. Mm -hmm. I knew well, it was going to be a problem. That's what a lot of people say is like, don't eat ever. Try. I've never tried cocaine, but they're like, don't try it because mm -hmm. it's like, that's, it's the gate. It's like the gateway drug. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, you're always chasing your first line. Like nothing's as good as like the first the line. First of cocaine one, yeah. It's like somebody goes into your brain and like sweeps it out. Wow. Like, that's how it felt to me. I felt like, oh, my God, everything's so clear. And, like, 
you know, no you, worries, no worries. Mm. Like I, I just it, but it, it got so dark and, you know, my family knew that things were happening. Like my mom told me later on, I was in at school. I got, you know, almost expelled from school. I was going to class and like high and like falling asleep. I was put on academic probation, like all of this stuff. And, and my parents knew that I was on a slippery slope, but they, um, like they would drive an hour and a half from where they lived to Toronto to physically take me grocery shopping because they were nervous about giving me cash. And I didn't know this until like years after I got right. sober, but like the trust level was not there anymore. That, that is an interesting topic of it because I feel like a lot of people um, in the, in, in the Demi news, they're, they're blaming like her friends. Like how can your friends let you go down that, you know, yeah. let you be in this, but coming from somebody like, do you listen to anybody around you? You're no. not listening to anybody. Yeah. You're, That's you're not the way do... my addiction never worked like that. Like it's, it's the thing that, that it, that people I don't think can understand about it is that it's, it's, and it says in our literature, the big book, it says it's cunning, baffling and powerful. And that's like the best way to describe it because you just, you can't control the feeling when it comes up. And, and there's really nobody in my life that's responsible for my sobriety, except for me. It's right. why I still go to meetings at seven thirty in the morning. It's why I still help other alcoholics try to stay sober. It's, you know, it's like a daily, uh, it's a daily exercise for me still yeah I with everything that happened with Demi I remember thinking and I don't know if you told Tony this and then we were talking about it or but I just remember hearing from somewhere like she's going to struggle with this this is going to be the rest of her life of you know it being a daily battle of yeah because I mean I I, really you still go to a like five times a week I go as much as I can yeah but definitely like yeah it's close to that definitely yeah four to five times a week still and 17 years, that's not, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like you just, it's been like a year or two years. Like it's something that. Yeah, it becomes, it's less about like, I don't really, I'm not afraid of picking up a drink or something like that. It's more about um, figuring out on a day-to-day basis, like trying to live my life by some sort of spiritual principles and like getting in touch with those every single day. So I'm not like, you know, I have a great life. My life is like incredible. I live a life literally beyond my wildest dreams but it's also like maintaining that and how do I you know there's a there's a a, there's definitely a mental illness um component to I think to addiction Mm -hmm. and alcoholism that I on a daily basis I feel like I need to be in touch with because some of the things that happen is hard to explain like some of the things that I believe to be real are things that are like not happening you know, like when you kind of create like a script in your head yeah. about how mm-hmm. things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen you go down that path. Before. Yeah, you've seen me. And I have to check. I have to yeah. like check in and be like, this is not reality. Mm-hmm. This is not what's actually happening right now. So um, I go, I literally go every single day just so I can be like the best person I could be on a daily basis. Because that's what, that's what makes me feel good now. So I'm interested. So when you got sober at, 23 mm-hmm. when did you meet gary literally like i did everything wrong in my first year um <sighs> i met gary i got sober on may 3rd and i met him literally almost two months later to the day so was this like a conversation that you had when you met him like no no <laughs> you hit it so i hit it and then we were away in uh hawaii together about a month later and 
he had this drink and he was like, oh my God, you should just, just taste it. It's so like, cause you were just saying, I don't it. drink. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah, I don't okay. like it, whatever. Yeah. And he, I was like, I have to be super honest with you about something. And, um, I told him and I think there, it was a little bit like red flag for him in a way. I don't want to put like words in his mouth, but I think over time and very quickly he became, he's like so supportive and you know, even sometimes now he'll say to me, you know, when's the last time you went to a meeting? And, um, you know, he's given me like cakes and he's very, very supportive of my sober journey. Um, but yeah, you know, technically I didn't, I was afraid of what his reaction might have been. And Which I think know, a lot of people, I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to that, Yeah, you know, because you have, and maybe not if it's not being sober, but you have some, something that you feel like is a, um, not an insecurity. Maybe it's an insecurity, but something that's like on your shoulders. And mm-hmm. you feel like when you newly start dating somebody that like the way you project that is going to be, per- you're scared of how it's going to be perceived. Totally. Right. And it's, you know, I'm glad that I obviously all this time later, it's, it's so much a part of who I am and the way that I live my life. And I think actually in a lot of instances, the things that I've learned in, so in sobriety and in AA, they just apply so much to everybody's situations. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily for me just apply to um, not drinking or using drugs. It applies to life. You know, it really applies to like living life on life's terms and also, you know, just like accepting the way that things are and also kind of believing that there is uh, a being out there that's greater than yourself. I think one of the things that like I love so much about you and like there's a lot obviously like you that the thing is like a lot of people would have no idea that you've had this in your past. Like that is a dark, dark, like that is some dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And the way that you live your life now, you're so fun and carefree. And like you go, like you're out at clubs with us all the time. Like you're out till one o'clock in the morning and we're, you know, we're drinking and you're still having just as much fun. And I think it's really cool and really admirable that you like can be social and like you have this life now and you work on yourself every single day and that you have had a, a really dark thing happened in your past and I think it's um it's beautiful and I think it's awesome that you choose to share it because I also Thanks. think a lot it's a, a scary thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about mm-hmm. yeah I and think shy away from I remember the moment where I looked at myself in the mirror and you know it was like I knew that I either had to I was either going to die and I was just going to continue using drugs and eventually like die of an overdose or potentially take my own life but I I knew that that's not actually what I wanted and so when I got sober I made a conscious and and I've tried to make a conscious effort to like really enjoy my life and like live it to the fullest and and be as much as I can be a joy in other people's lives you know Mm -hmm. and I think that that's kind of why I'm in the profession I'm in and and just why I am the way that I am like I'm always kind of the same, I think. And I, and you know, the people that I work with are like, Oh, you're so calm. And you know, I'm not super dramatic. And, um, I don't know. I just, I, I lived for so long in a dark place, like not knowing that it was a dark place that I'd really try to stay, to stay out of that now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have so many family members who have had addiction problems and have fought it you know, their whole lives and continue to fight it. And so I think seeing someone like you who, who finally acknowledged that it was a problem and decided like, I'm going to fix this because I don't want this to be my life. 
it it's like I think having personal experience with people who have gone through this mm-hmm. and watching them continue to relapse and get back into it it's really encouraging I think to know that that you can come out of it and that like there is a light at the end of the dark tunnel because I think people get stuck in the darkness and don't know how to get out of it yeah. and I think the people around them are feel helpless too of like what can we do to to fix this and I think that's a big struggle for people yeah I think so too and I you know we um I think that's why the community for me of AA has worked is because yeah. it's there's a language that addicts speak to one another that I think only addicts can understand sure um but I um you know it's it's some for some people relapsing as part of the journey, but that's can also be like a really dangerous game, you know, because mm-hmm. you can you might not come back from an overdose. And I've had people in my, you know, my group who have who have, you know, p- other members of my group have found them dead. Like it's like oh. it's not it. We talk about it being every every day like it's a life and death thing. It's not something that you can you're playing with fire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's definitely something that is is life threatening. And um you know, it should be treated as such. When you were in that dark phase of your, like you were saying, your parents don't want to give you cash and things like, like how did, how was your relationship like with like your sister and like, how did she? My sisters, you know, my sister told me in high school when I told her that I started uh, smoking pot that she said to me, she's like, this is just the beginning for you. Like she was mm, like she not knew. happy and, it, and she was totally right. But you know, my sister and my family is and I, is kind of amazing because they um, they supported me as much as they could and 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 waited until the moment and the moment that, you know, I when called them that night. My it. sister was there and she stayed home with me the whole time that I was like comatose or like out from the, the Valium. And um, I've been really lucky that I, I I and now I try, you know, we call it a living amends is that I try my best to be a good brother and a good son to my mom. Cause I know my mom had so many sleepless nights yeah. mm-hmm. waiting for the phone call to, to see if like I was okay or not. You know, she also used to say to me when I was like going to Toronto, I'm going to go to like this warehouse party. She'd be like, be careful. Someone doesn't slip anything into your drink. I'm like, that's my dream. <laughs> like, are you crazy? Be careful. Someone doesn't slip anything into my drink. I'm like, I'm praying for that mom. <laughs> Wow. Are you crazy? That would wow. be a dream come true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Your poor mother. My poor, poor mother. Oh, oh, she's, I mean, I put her through it. <laughs> I have put her through it, you know, between like drug addiction, uh, you know, coming out, like my crazy out. I mean, my mom has like, I, I owe like my mom and my dad, like I owe everything to them. Yeah. Like I was not... I was not an easy child. No, but you're such a joy. Like, how, old, how old were you when you came out to your parents? Official. Well, when I came out, I like literally when I came out, I came out. Like I was basically like, born with a pair of high heels on. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, officially came out, I think I was like 17 or 18. But what you're saying is they weren't like flabbergasted. <laughs> Let me just like third grade. We had a talent show. I shut off all the lights. 
well, you know this, yeah. me, but I shut off all the lights in our portable and I used my light bright as a spotlight and I lip synced like a virgin. Like that's who I am <laughs> to my core. Like I didn't want the fluorescent lighting in the portable. I wanted a spotlight. I rolled around on the floor. It was wildly inappropriate for a third grade class. So they're just, they're, they, what you're saying is they were waiting. They were just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I was always a lady for Halloween. <laughs> always. Always. My dad, God bless him. Third grade, I was obsessed with Madonna. I was Madonna for Halloween, and he paraded, he took me around the neighborhood dressed as Madonna. <laughs> like, like 10 years. Can you imagine? I, yeah, I actually can't. That's why I'm laughing. Like so. my my dad just like was like okay, like just like fully took me around. That's you know, amazing. Very Aww. sweet. Yeah. Super sweet. But yeah, you know, it's it's the the thing. I didn't come from. Uh, I can't come from like a great family. I I I don't really think I have any trauma. Like I don't. I, I there's no there's nothing really to like associate I, it with. Yeah, to like, right, like explain. You weren't, you weren't. Drugs wasn't your outlet to like. A bad childhood. No, it's like, just I right. suffer from, believe it or not, like I have social anxiety. I like, you know, I, I it's hard for me or, or it was hard for me to connect with people, especially when I was single and I was dating. Like it was just I was just like terrified. Right. Rejection and, and all of those things. And that just kind of like loosened me up a bit. Sorry to interrupt. We can continue this conversation with an actual expert. Oh, Let's, Brad, you said please. you're not. We have Dr. Drew Pinsky on the line to uh, share his vast knowledge on the subject. Dr. Drew? Hey there. Hi. How are you? Great. How are you? Thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. We're so excited to have you. Um, we are talking about addiction and, you know, with everything that's happened with Demi Lovato this last week and... Um, it's just something that we wanted to bring up. Our guest here today is Brad Goreski, and he hi, Doctor Drew. Hey, man. And he's hey, been now. telling us um, his personal story. So, and he he prefaced his story with, he is not an expert. So we have an expert. Yeah. And we just wanted to ask you some questions on the topic. All right, go ahead. I was going to let you start with oh, the well, Demi stuff. Yeah, I think for uh, with with the Demi situation, um, a lot of people are kind of like getting uh, upset with her friends and saying like, how did her friends let her, you know, slip down the slope? And is this something that friends can can come and kind of help with? Or is this like, no, no, no that's, that's ridiculous. I, I mean, certainly there's an issue with celebrities generally is that they tend to real, I mean, Demi's not in this profile, but, uh, you know, certain celebrities will insulate themselves from the world by creating sort of an inner circle of friends that are sycophantic and don't confront them on anything and allow their addictions to spiral out of control. This is not that. This is Demi, who had six years of successful sobriety. She got, it's hard work. There was something there's something wrong with the program she was uh, maintaining. Who knows what? She'll figure that out. It became tiresome for her. It became sort of a white-knuckling phenomenon. And, you know, sobriety is hard. And in her song, she told us, she, I'm tired, I'm sorry, but I'm tired. Okay. And then she relapsed. And, you know, people have to do things on their own terms. Addicts always have to convince themselves of their need for recovery. And this was part of what she needed to do to convince herself. And, of course, 
The consequences are worse when you relapse. It's a progressive disease. Mm-hmm. And hopefully now she's ready to do the work and, and she'll be fine. She'll be fine and she will continue to be an inspiration for other people. So if you are a friend or like a family member of somebody that is going through an addiction, well, what are... It, it, here's what you do. You okay. go to Al-Anon and work your own program. That's really all you can really do. Is uh, you? I'm telling you, and I, I make this recommendation hand over fist thousands of times a month, and I'd say... Five or ten percent of the time, people do it, uh, and it changes the course of the identified patient. I'm telling you, it does. I'm not saying show up at a meeting one afternoon and everything will be fine. I'm saying work a program of your own, and it will change the dance you do with the addict, and that will catch their attention. You can do that. So I can't tell you how many times people say to me, "I'll do anything. I'll do anything for my son." I say, "Good. Go to an Allen meeting tonight." Oh well, mm. what do I need to do? Well, tell me stuff I need to do. No, I'm telling you, that's what you do. Now. If you're a parent or you're in a position of authority or somehow leverage over the identified patient, use that leverage. You know, if you have a financial leverage, you have interpersonal leverage. And for some people, uh, it means leaving. Leaving lost is uh, part of the cumulative effects of addiction that does capture the attention of the patient. Eventually enough pain, and they'll be willing to turn it around. So you're saying, like, cut them off. That is one, I said that's one option. Now, you now you don't do it out of hatred and anger or right, right, you right. do it out of love. And the problem is you can't really do that unless you're working an Al-Anon program because people get angry and leave, and that's not how you do it. You do it when you really have decided that it's destructive for you to stay, and you do so with the support and care of a, of a Al-Anon team, and you say, I love you, and I, I can't be a part of this anymore. Uh, and that that. You, that's a, you, know, you, you can't control somebody else's addiction. You can't do it. That's what people have to understand. It's their disease. It's their addiction. And unfortunately, there's no magic potion that allows us to control other people's illnesses when, when those are brain diseases and particularly addiction. So when you're saying if someone will get to, they'll either get to the point where they say. No, I said go to Al-Anon. That's what I said. Go to Al-Anon and work a program. I don't know how much clearer I can be about that. That's what you need to do if you actually care about your friend or loved one. That's what you do. Yeah, I think, you know, as as somebody who goes to uh, to AA, I think, um, you know, also for addicts to go to Al-Anon as well to hear the other side because, you know, we, we never um, consider how we're affecting other people because our disease is all about us. It's a, it's a totally selfish disease. So I, I, I agree with you. However, early it can be kind of evocative and, and you never know what you're going to get in an Al-Anon meeting, you know, what gets directed at, at an addict, you know, some newbies in there might direct some aggression towards them. And so you, you want to make sure your sobriety is, is stable and set before you do that. But then I agree with you underlying most addicts is a codependency too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Mind's blown in here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard thing. I was telling them, Dr. Drew, it's a hard thing to um, also to, uh, you know, the reason why for me AA has worked so well is because it's hard for people who don't suffer from addiction to understand, you know, like when I heard about Demi, I was like, you know, I, I hear about it. I get it, you know. Yeah, I get it too. It's yeah. not, it's, I'm not angry with Demi. It's, she has an illness. And, you know, the, here's a couple other pieces of information, which is on, on average, it takes four treatments in five years to get one year of sobriety. On average. 
Wow. Uh, my my friend Bob Forrest, who the guy with the hat and the glasses, I did celebrity rehab with. He had 22 treatments, and he doesn't feel like any one of them was a waste of his time. Each one was a was a cornerstone of his recovery. It takes what it takes. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of treatment. It takes a lot of effort. Occasionally, people get well after a couple of treatments. Occasionally, that does happen, and they can sustain it. And occasionally, there are things in the recovery or things that life throws at the person who's in recovery. Look, you wouldn't get mad at a diabetic who was on their stable dose of insulin whose blood sugar went out of control and needed adjustment of their insulin. It's the exact same right. model mm-hmm. with this brain disease we call addiction. It's the exact same thing. Now, in terms of 12-step, a guy named John Kelly, who's the head of the addiction uh, medicine program at the uh, Department of Psychiatry at Harvard, is about to publish a Cochrane analysis that shows that mutual aid societies are as good or better than any professionally managed treatment out there. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we have available everywhere, 20, all the time, free services that anyone struggling with this disease or a family member with this disease can access that is as effective as professionally managed treatment, provided that, and Brad, you know this, that you do the work. Yeah. That's the hard, that's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the work. Yeah. Is there any truth to how they um, how they say that if you have like a family member that has suffered from addiction, like are there more people that are susceptible to becoming? I've treated 10,000 addicts and I can only think of five that I couldn't see a clear genetic link. Oh, oh really? Yeah. It's, have... a, it's a biological disorder with a genetic basis. The hallmark is progressive use in the face of adverse consequence and denial. And that's it. That covers all addictions. But it's always a genetic basis. So people, if they have it in their family, they can be proactive if, you know. Well, I don't know if you can be. I mean, even when I was like in the throes of it, I, you know, sitting in an AA meeting thinking I just had a drug problem. I was like, oh, I actually have been completely abusing alcohol for like 10 years. But I'm going to bet you were four to six months into your recovery before you had that thought. Uh, yeah, I was a little while into it because I was just trying to stop the drugs. But right. when I stopped everything and then I was like, oh, my God, my 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 alcohol use was never like watching somebody. You know, my husband has maybe a, like a three quarters of a glass of wine. And I'm like, yeah. how do you do that? Like right. there's yeah. still a drop in there and then the rest of the bottle. Oh, like right, right. what kind of effect are you getting off of it? Because the effect I want is like not like not like taking the edge off the effect I want is like fully checking out yeah Dr. Drew I have a question and and it's maybe so simple that the answer's right in front of me but what's the difference between an addict or alcoholic and someone who just drinks a lot and often uh genetics and consequences so if somebody has a family history within two generations of alcoholism or addiction and they're having mounting consequences. A normie, even a heavy drinking normie, when they get the DUI, when they get the liver disease, when they screw up a marriage, will stop. An alcoholic will continue. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. Just My because, pleasure. You know, there's a lot of people that... Um, that not just are struggling with this, but have a lot of people in their lives. So your perspective and, and I, I, expert- I'm, I'm, I'm so amazed that, that people still have trouble getting their head around this condition. It's, it's a, given how the success so many people have had in their recovery and how common it is, how common the illness is, how common recovery is. And it, it's, it's a different brain and it's a different thing than you're used to if you don't have it. And yeah. you have to kind of uh, open yourself to what this thing is. And if you see it, it, it becomes very clear. And it's, it's always smart, wonderful, intelligent people that get this damn thing. That's one of the reasons I fight so hard against it. 
and they can be returned to a fully thriving life. Uh, but it's heartbreaking, and it takes some of the best and the youngest and the brightest. And it's a very, very difficult disease. And particularly in today's day, when you know people are my profession is they're distributing such incredibly powerful substances. Right. Um, we we have to get a handle on this. But thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you, Doctor Drew. Bye. Bye. So the thing about getting sober, and I think what Dr. Drew was saying about helping somebody or dealing with somebody who is an addict is it's a program of action. So there, you have to take certain steps. Like literally, I think what he's saying is if you, if you want to help somebody, you have to go to Al-Anon, which is like taking time out of your day, mm-hmm. sitting there and like actually getting some tools to deal with somebody instead of right. saying like, well, how do I help? Yeah. How you can help is you can go and get you know, a guideline and figure and and the way to deal with uh, an addict or an alcoholic through physically going to yeah. Al-Anon. Yeah, because I, I was, I got scared a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Got, yeah. Becca, like, looked at me and was like, you asked the next question. I was like, I, was like, I got I, you. I was, like, scared to ask like, the question about um, what's the difference between, like, an alcoholic and someone who drinks a lot, yeah. which I feel like is a great question. I, I was, like, scared he was going to be like, you idiot. Yeah. Well, the difference is the way that the, the brain is actually wired and yeah. made up. Like, you know, I know people who can go out for a night and get wasted and then like not drink again for another week. But that doesn't usually happen for most people who have a drinking problem. Yeah. Right. And you it's know. kind of like how Brad was saying how when he was recovering, he didn't realize until like four or five months into it that, oh, wow, I'd have been having this drinking problem for this many years until, mm-hmm. you know, because you just think of drugs, hard drugs, right. like the addiction. And then you don't realize. Right. Like the person who's yeah, not the person who is just drinks a lot is not necessarily going to like knows that if they're drinking on a Sunday that they probably need to get to work on Monday morning. The person who's an alcoholic or an addict doesn't care about that. Uh So it doesn't matter. So it's like I could be drinking on a Sunday and then not show up to work until Wednesday Yeah, because there's no kind of um, acknowledgement of there being any consequences because you're just doing what you're doing. I feel like I like thinking about what Dr. Drew's I feel like he hears these questions every day, like, what do we do to help? How do we do to help? And he's probably, right. like, tired so, of hearing yeah. that. He's like, help. Go to Al-Anon. Dude, Al-Anon. Al-Anon. Yeah. 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 Definitely my takeaway from that was go to Al-Anon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> like, wow. That was definitely hammered in. Um, <laughs> it was. Tanya yeah. was like. Like you were literally scared. We were, I no, was. We, and it wasn't even my like. It was like to, to Becca, and I was like, oh. Yeah, she like felt the repercussions of me being like reprimanded. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what makes me happy? What? Rothy's shoes. I love Rothy's because you know why? They're stylish. They're sustainable, and they're comfortable enough for everyday wear anywhere. Yes. Um, if you're ready to try on the most comfortable flat you've ever worn, you can wear them all day, every day. You want your Rothy shoes. That's true. And they're actually making flats from recycled plastic water bottles, um, which I love. We just actually met a guy who is taking plastic out of the oceans and turning it into um, prosthetic limbs. Wow, that's for amazing. I know. And I, I think that's really awesome that, that Rothy's doing this. Yeah, so Rothy's is the everyday flat for life on the go. It's stylish, classic, comfortable, comes in three fashionable styles, the flat, the point, and the loafer. And an added bonus, they're machine washable because, uh, let's face it, I, I put my shoes in the washing machine a lot. Um, well, yeah, because if your feet sweat, yeah. you, need to, you need to be able to wash and It's them. been very hot in L.A., so. Yeah, it's been hot everywhere, Tanya. I think, <laughs> I think we're all... 
going through a that's uh, true heat wave heat wave yeah um i love my rothy's the um loafers are so cute so comfortable and right now rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners use code becca to get free shipping uh with no minimum yeah so it's free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your rothy's shoe and trust me you won't return them so go to rothy's.com that's r-o-t-h-y-s.com and enter becca to get your cute shoes and free shipping yeah it's a no-brainer the shoes are that are comfortable stylish and sustainable and there's free shipping so get yourself a pair today. That's rothys.com. Promo code Becca. Becca. Hold on. Promo uh-huh. code Becca and get this deal while it lasts. Once again, that's rothys.com. Promo code Becca. Becca. Well, there we go. We have an expert and then the non-expert's opinion. Yeah. Side I, of and it all and it's all the same, you know, it's really the 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 same information. I think I think the I think the really important thing Dr. Drew said too that I I didn't really address is that, you know, that the addict doesn't have any awareness of the consequences of his Mm -hmm. actions. It's Mm -hmm. just about, you know, it's about the party. It's about the, it's about chasing the high. It's about, you know, everything. It doesn't, you know, there are people I know who have totally lost their families, you know, they've lost their job, their families. And they're like, how did I get get to this spot, you know? I actually want to go with you to a meeting. You'd love it. Okay. Yeah, you would love it. Yeah. Tanya would be trying to chime in just to be a part. <laughs> yeah, I go to I go to my my group is um is an open format. So anybody's welcome. We have a lot Bring of like, people come from uh UCLA, like a lot of the med students come down and see. I just in think it's and- such an like for me uh, I, and I I thank you Jesus. I don't have anybody in my family that struggles with addiction, but um I've dealt with um guys that I've dated in the past that have dealt with addiction in their lives and it's been like kind of a little bit of a, a jarring thing for me because I didn't like one I remember it was like a first date and he I was like drinking wine and he didn't order wine and I was like hmm could I do this and so I think I'm just naive to the topic because I don't I thankfully have never had to really deal with anybody struggling with addiction like that on a on that personal of a level mm-hmm. you know because like when I met you you were on the other end of it yeah I feel like you though like drinking is like so not I don't know. I feel like there are people who are like wine lovers, right? right you know, right. and that doesn't make you an addict. But I'm interested. But I'm, I'm interested to go to an AA meeting and just be like a little more, like get a little more information because I do feel like I'm a little in the dark on this yeah. topic. Yeah, I feel like I have, um, like I said, a lot of it in my family. So I feel like it's something I've seen and I've watched people. I've watched the families and I've watched people suffer from it the yeah. the people who are going through it and their loved ones so are they sober or are they actively still using um some of them are sober and then some of them are some are some of them are sober but then you know every now and then there's a relapse you know it's yeah. just and it's more um you know uh painkillers and that kind of stuff it's not so much the I meds. there's a lot of I I mean hearing him say it is a genetic thing makes a lot of sense because you do see it I feel like within, um, within families. Something that is a very healthy. <laughs> you don't out. have to do that. <laughs> Switching gears here. Exactly. We have yeah. we have commercials to get to, but yeah, we don't have to yeah. do the cutesy transitions because <laughs> okay. it kind of doesn't work this week. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, it doesn't work. But I was going to say a healthy, a healthy outlet to <laughs> life is working out. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't work out often, but honestly, I don't. I always have this feeling of excitement and happiness once I work out. Oh, I'm my best self post workout. Oh, oh yeah, you're like, you're like wringing out your sweat. You're like oh, ninety yeah. minutes at Orange I, Theory, which I was so scared for you. <laughs> yeah, about. I know. I like love. I really do. I really feel like euphoric after a workout. So I think um, I'm really excited that we have Beachbody on demand as yeah. a sponsor of the podcast. Yes. Um, Beachbody On Demand is a streaming service with so many workouts, different trainers, nutrition guides. It's a lot. And you have multiple options. Yeah. There's P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, which my friend Melissa just did. Um, Brazil Butt Lift. Ooh. Yeah. Hip Hop Abs, Three Week mm. Yoga Retreat, and more. Uh, my girlfriend Melissa just did it. T25 is her favorite. She loves Sean T. And it doesn't require any extra equipment, and it's only 25 minutes a day. Yeah. And I feel like everyone at some point in their day has 25 minutes, right? I know I do. For sure. That's the best part of this is that you don't have to go anywhere. Like, I think the thing is that it's like you have to drive, drive somewhere, get out of the car, get back in the car. So Mm -hmm. you have everything takes longer. But with this, it's you have it at the comfort of your own home. So you don't you don't have to have the drive time. 25 minutes. Everybody has the time and it's, you can do it on your tablet, your smartphone, your TV. You can literally do Beachbody On Demand anywhere that you have a device. Yeah. So what in the world are you waiting for? If you haven't already, join over 1 million people who are currently using Beachbody On Demand. Yes. So right now our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Becca to 303030. So you'll get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and the support. It's all free. <laughs> okay, again, just text Becca to 303030. That's 303030. And what do you have to text? Becca! Becca! <laughs> Wait, didn't we do the three part last time? Yeah, you kind of missed your cue. Sorry, yeah, we're going to try that again. Text. We're going to text 303030, and we're going to text promo code... better wasn't our best but (laughs) we'll we'll do better on the next one all right we have another expert joining us now her name is Haley hewitt and let me activate that line there we go hi Haley. hi there hey hi Haley. thank you so much for being here oh thanks for having me yeah so um we are just touching on the topic of addiction today um we have brad goreski in here who is sober 17 years Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And um, we talked to Dr. Drew earlier, and he gave us some advice, but we just had a few questions. I know that this is part of your expertise and kind of what you deal with on a regular basis. So um, we were kind of curious for people to know if if someone has a friend or a loved one and they, they see them going down this path and the slippery slope of what could become a serious addiction like what do you do how do you help and how do you step in right yeah being in community and being supported by loved ones and family members is the remedy and so important in recovery I think you know some psychoeducation is important educating oneself just knowing the relapse rate is around 40 to 60 percent and individuals even who remain abstinent from drugs and alcohol for five years, 10 years can relapse. I think one in five is the percentage there. Mm-hmm. So having that compassion of, of understanding and normalizing that relapse as a part of recovery is important. Um, and of course, you know, 
things like saying you messed up um, would make somebody working through addiction feel quite defensive. So phrases like, I'm worried about your health. I noticed some difficult situations you've been facing lately. Um, those are sorts of statements that would be more helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and just talking about the effect your friend's drinking or drug use has on whatever that person cares about, maybe career, children, your friendship. Um, I think in the throes of addiction, it's hard to feel concerned about one's own situation for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, shame, guilt, stigma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I think especially women are wired for connection, but I mean, we all are. And so reminding them of, of loved ones and um, the impact it's having on others is important. Consistency is crucial. So say you're discussing, you know, with your friend how the drug addiction worries you, and then you're watching them partake in the activity, send mixed messages. So I think not being present for their youth and really removing yourself is one way to help um, maintain consistency around support Um, and and managing expectations. So I think friends and family need to know, and all of us in relationship, that we're responsible for our own self-care and our own feelings, which means we're all, you know, practicing um, our hobbies, healthy diet, sleep schedule, um, really taking responsibility for ourselves, and that's valuable modeling for those who are in active recovery. For somebody that's like, let's just say they're, they have somebody new in their life. So they started dating somebody or um, they just met somebody and they are a recovering addict. What Mm -hmm. is something that they should know going, moving forward with that relationship? Yeah. So I think I would be curious about their community support. Um, you know, I would I would be curious about what brings them joy, what is meaningful to them. I think addiction can be understood as a bind. So in the brain, we become bound to these substances or addictions. But what are they bound to in life that is healthy and meaningful? So I'd be interested to hear um, what sort of support that they already have and how they're maintaining their recovery. Right. Um, and even if they're aware of um, what sort of triggers could contribute to relapse. Oh, so that's really important. Yeah, like high stress periods um, and even like beginning a new relationship, like communicating with them, you know, this could be triggering. And I, you know, I understand that some other triggers, you know, could be um, boredom or mental, physical health concerns, um, intimacy issues. Um, and so I, I would kind of assess um, in a new relationship, and it's all about communication, if they're aware of some of these triggers um, and and what they use for support when those triggers come up. Um, like even recovery milestones can be a relapse trigger, you know, a one-year sobriety, you know, the fear around that. Oh, interesting. And even increased self-esteem. So I think just referencing our, our warrior out there, Demi Lovato, right now, um, her, her thinking that alcohol use is separate from her other addictions and won't trigger the other addictions, right. um, you know, the increased self-esteem, maybe feeling good, can um, be really common, but also a misconception. Um, it's all the same mechanism in the brain. Even social media and texting can trigger that dopamine cycle of, of real high highs and then crashing lows. Mm. And the remedy to that is sustainable, meaningful connection and relationship uh, rather than the quick fix that our culture 
propagate. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I never even thought about a lot of that stuff, actually, as being triggers. And having yeah. somebody that's, like, so aware of themselves. Exactly. Well, exactly. that's also why, you know, it's daily maintenance. Too. Yeah. Like, it's not something yeah. that you can you can be like, oh, I'm good. I'm going to take, like, yep. you know, I graduated. So the year milestone, the five-year milestone, the 10-year milestone, it's like, no, the the work, like, the work has to continue. Mm-hmm. Because, the, yeah. you know, it's progress, not perfection. So it's like we're not... It's, it's every single day, like thinking for me, it's not like, oh, I did all this bad yesterday or, you know, it's every single day for me. It's like, how can I like be better in some way, shape or form? Is it, do I, is my mechanism for reaction to, to people, places and things too big? Like, how do I get back to a place where, you know, I'm not so worried about the person cutting me off or taking my parking, like all of those small things, when those things start bothering me, I'm like, I'm not good right now. You know, like I need to kind of every single day check, at least if I can't physically make it into a meeting and share, I have to be checking in with other people who are trying to stay sober for 24 hours. Yeah. And checking in with myself, right? Checking in with the sensations underneath the thoughts and the feelings. So really getting into the body, whether it's just through meditation or yoga or dancing, any sort of embodied presence practice is so important on a daily basis, as you're saying, to be in touch with those urges, those, you know, the monkey mind that is constantly flooding us with thoughts and feelings that perhaps aren't even true or or perhaps we don't need to act on, Um, but kind of exploring the sensations underneath which um, we reference in addiction as urge surfing. So surfing out the urge or the impulse and like really studying the sensation of it, which is valuable, um, a valuable tool that we can really learn through the meditation, the mindfulness yoga practices um, in terms of reprogramming the brain. So we have an impulse and then we act on it. But I think when we can slow down enough and get into the sensory experience, we have the impulse. We witness the sensations of it and watch it pass. Yeah. And then maybe we don't have to act on it. Exactly. Give it some space. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Haley Hewitt, thank you so much for calling in today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank oh, you it's my me. pleasure. Thanks, Haley. Yeah, I'm a licensed therapist up in uh, the Bay Area. So if you're interested in, in working together, I'm at HewittMFT.com. H-E-W-I-T-T, and I run um, groups and work with individuals and families. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. For having me. Bye. Bye. Shifting gears. It is a gear shift. I I would like to talk about another sponsor of this wonderful podcast. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about? Nothing, Nothing. because it has to do with our eyeballs. (laughs) Okay. I like to see. Yeah, you struggle to see. Do you wear contacts? Girl, I'm wearing glasses right now. I no. don't ever wear contacts. You do. No, no. Uh, you don't. I wore colored ones once. <laughs> like the ones that like they make oh, yeah. your eyes sparkle. Oh. oh, wow. Anyway. I think if you did wear contacts. Switching gears. Switching gears. I think that you would really enjoy Hubble contacts. Do you know why? Why, Tanya? Because you get a new pair every single day. 
Yeah, that's so you don't fresh... have to like reuse them. Do you know how people like put them in those weird water containers? And yeah, like, it's like how them... I put my gum on my phone when there's still flavor left. <laughs> exactly. I would just be gross. wearing my contacts over and over but again. But this yeah. is like getting a new pair of new package of gum every day. Every single time. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. say it ain't so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is the best part. It's 60 contacts for $33. So you do the math. That's barely like a dollar a day. That's less than two. a dollar a day. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how that works. Yeah, though. Tony's not great at math. <laughs> yeah. But it's more affordable than any other brand. And all you have to do is go to HubbleContacts.com and you get your first two weeks for free. Oh. Rad. Yeah. Contacts are really, I don't know if you know this, but they are really expensive because four companies control 97% of the market until Hubble came along. Yeah. So they can send you to an optometrist if you don't have a prescription. And it's never been more convenient or affordable. You're not overpaying. You're not overwearing, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And it's featured in Vogue, GQ, TechCrunch, and Mashable. Yeah. So make sure you guys go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. Yeah. So go to HubbleContacts.com and you'll see the difference. Make get sure it. to select Scrubbing In with Becca Tilly at checkout. That's H-U-B-B-L-E contacts.com. And make sure you select our show, Scrubbing In with Becca Tilly, at checkout. Um, we can't do a promo mm, code for this, yeah. but... We'll table it for now. Make table sure it. you select Scrubbing Yay. In with... Becca, Becca Tilly! <laughs> Didn't have the same ring That was too. pretty good. <laughs> you think? Uh, just to put a uh, period at the end of this uh, conversation we've been having today, TMZ just had an update that Demi Lovato is still in the hospital. Wow. Um, she is very, very sick, it says here. Sources with first-hand knowledge say she's suffering from extreme nausea and a high fever, among other things. These are among the complications related to the overdose. It was so severe her life was in jeopardy. She was unconscious when they arrived, and they gave her the Narcan to resuscitate her, an antidote to the opioid OD, which we don't know exactly which one it was, but it doesn't really matter, I don't think. So that's an update on that. That's so intense. That's just a few minutes ago from TMZ. Prayers. Mm -hmm. So many prayers. Mm -hmm. I know. It's a long road. Mm -hmm. It's a long, long road, especially with so many eyes on you and so many people talking about it. That's like a lot. Oh, I'm, I was going to say, I mean, imagine. yeah, suffering, suffering in this situation, being in this situation in general, I, I can't really grasp it, but it being on every news site and every, I mean, she, I feel like it's, she's gotten so much support from it. Like, you know, it's not like people are like being horrible to her, but it's, it's like having to go through something so personal, so publicly. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. She came out of, I think she had come out of rehab. It was, I don't know how many times she has been in, but it was one of the times she just came out of rehab and she came to the morning show to do on, on it with Ryan Seacrest. Mm-hmm. And it was right after, um, give your heart a break came out. Mm-hmm. And it was the day after the song came out, it like leaked online or something. So I really had only had it for like 12 hours and she came in and like, like people around were saying, you know, she was not, not in like a little bit of, a. Um, no, I don't. I don't want to say not a good, not a good headspace, but like a more timid, you know, like not okay. Yeah. So she came in, and um, I started singing the song. We played the song back, and I started singing the song because I'd listened to it on repeat since it came out. I knew every single word, and like we had this like crazy, really weird connection. And the people behind me were saying like, "This, this is you. Don't have no idea like what this is doing to her mm-hmm. internally. Like we're, you know what I mean? Like she's like." It, to see just 
Because she was struggling. She yeah. was more subdued. subdued. Seeing your reaction to her music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brought her up. Brought her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got her excited about this. Got her to focus on that really wonderful thing in her life. Yeah. Music. Yeah. But it's like, it's so hard because I feel like, I really do, like, even though she's not like, she, I feel like she's been so much to so many people. You know what I mean? Like her songs have been gotten people out of and they even mm-hmm. started this hashtag i can't remember what, what the hashtag was but it was like demi got me through mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. they started this like campaign um of outpouring of love because i feel like she's probably being inundated and bombarded with just like news updates of like this is what's new with what's going on in her state of health and to be able to see fans and people like that reach out with like such positive response mm-hmm. and and reinforcement i think is hopefully hopefully encouraging in some way mm-hmm. to For her. sure, yeah. Well, I think she's helped so many people by being, you Local. know, so honest, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. about her triumphs, her struggles. And, you know, I, 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 my, you know, obviously my thoughts and prayers and, um, you know, I hope she gets what she needs and I'm sure she will once she gets out. And, you know, she's one of the most, I believe, talented vocalists, singers, songwriters out there Mm -hmm. right now and um has been for so many years and um you know i just i hope she gets uh i hope she gets what she needs and gets on i'm sure she'll she'll be on a a a great path and get herself you know rebooted again yeah yeah shall we wrap up with some emails today uh yeah these are fun you know People have got stuff going on. We gotta help Everyone, if we can. We all, ha- we all have stuff going on. Ashley's a nanny. She's been with the current family for four and a half years. They have four kids. Just today, she noticed a camera has been placed in the living room, out in the open. It's not hidden. Oh. Out in the open. Do I bring it up to my boss or I ignore it? Some background, she's been a nanny for eight and a half years and she's very close with this family. She's traveled extensively with this family, lived with them part-time. Both parents are now stay-at-home, but she's still there as the nanny. What would you do in this situation? I love being on camera, so I'd be fine with it. You'd be dancing. <laughs> I'd be like, how's the lighting? <laughs> uh, don't stress over it, right? Uh, yeah, no. but does she say you something? Think it's weird? Yeah, I think it's super weird. But maybe it's not even for her. Maybe it's some other maybe reason. Maybe it's for the kids. Maybe the kids have been like acting like jerks. You guys, it's, for, it's to see the interaction with her and the kids. That's why you have a nanny cam, right? Yeah, I suppose. Maybe, Mark, why would you get a nanny cam if you were out? I'd want to see what's going on with the nanny when I'm yeah. not there. Yeah, <laughs> it would also tell me that the kids maybe are complaining about the nanny or That's saying what I was that she's doing say. something. They want to see it before they say anything. Yeah, also, but if it's out in the open, I wonder if they have a dog. Because sometimes I've thought about like getting don't you get a pet camera. cube for that. Huh? Isn't it called pet cube? Well, maybe it. Maybe it's. Maybe it looks like a normal camera, but it's just. I'm just saying, I thought about getting one just to see what Phoebe's doing when I when I eventually leave her out on Can her I tell own. you what she's doing? What? Sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. Phoebe's <laughs> mischievous. <laughs> I'm just saying, if they have dogs, maybe it's for the dog. I personally would bring it up because I would be so, like... Yeah, it would, I would not like that. No, I wouldn't like, either. No Especially thing. after eight and a half years. Or, sorry, four and a half years. I'd be like... Something's up. I think it's worth saying, is there, do you have any concerns with me yeah. as your nanny? Yeah, have I noticed I done the anything camera. to upset you? And when they say, no, of course not. Well, I noticed the camera. I just wanted to make sure that everything's fine with us. And they say, oh, don't be silly. No, we have them in every room of the house. It's just a new security system or whatever right. it is. Right. Yeah. That's what I would, I would bring it up. Because they're not trying to catch her doing something inappropriate or stealing if it's just out in the open. 
That's correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. She's not going to steal it if, if it's it out in the open. If it was disguised in a plant and she then, was like watering the plants and found a camera, then I would be a little... I just have issue with cameras in general for some reason, like with that type of stuff. Like I get like having one in your front door, but I don't know. It's like, do you want to live your life just like watching videos of people that you're supposed to be trusting and like, oh, it just It seems does get more every dark. day, it seems like. Yeah. Every like, doorbell now is a video doorbell. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. Mm. Uh, Yuri's been dating a guy for about three months. They met five months ago, and she found out there's a girl in his life. They've been friends since high school. She's one of his best friends. Wait, who's it? what's his name? Her. Her name, Yuri. Okay, I'm trying to find the email. No problem, she says. No problem with a girl best friend. No issue. But then he let on that at one point in their friendship, they did have a period of time where they hooked up. No, no, no. Since then, they both decided to just be friends. He was very honest with me, wants me to feel comfortable with the idea of her being back in his life. She doesn't live here in L.A., but she visits home from time to time. I do feel a little jealous. I do feel a little threatened. I hate that I feel this way. I haven't stopped thinking about it since. Is this okay? I struggle. I I feel like you're going to say it's fine because you somehow have friends that you've hooked up with. (laughs) Or somehow you're friends with people that you've hooked up with in the past. Well, I'm friendly. I don't think... I'm I'm not like friends with people that Yes you are. Who? Oh my gosh, that does not count. <laughs> that does. That's the epitome of count. That's so good. That's somebody that you've hooked up with that you're still friends with. You hang out with him. We did not hook up. What yeah, yes you did. We had a drunk kiss. Is that not a drunken kiss? Yeah. Yes. Drunken kiss? Yeah, that's hooked up. Tanya. That's hooked up, right? No. Like we both acknowledged that we were drunk. And like it was didn't mean anything. Did you touch stuff? No. It literally, oh, then was, you're fine. It literally was like the most innocent. <laughs> really? I yeah. think it's okay. I think first base is okay. Really? I think it's different. A drunken first base is more different, I think. Now this okay. not, in Yuri's situation, I can't believe a, that was even the situation <laughs> he brought up. I'm shocked. <laughs> like it was irrelevant that whole thing. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even tell someone. I don't. Know. Well, that's interesting because if they find out that that happened, even a drunken kiss, and you didn't tell them, they're going to be upset. Yeah, but I would just be like, it was so irrelevant that I didn't even think I needed to bring it up. It's going to be an argument. I'd love to have. I a love a good kiss argument. <laughs> I wouldn't have stopped at a drunken kiss. <laughs> like stuff would have been touched. Definitely stuff would have been touched during the kiss. Seize the carpe diem. But in Yuri's situation, the there was a period of time where they hooked up. Right. So it was multiple times. Who this knows how far they, they got? Yeah. It is different. But I am going to say this is okay. I am too. But I think that's like a super male perspective maybe it, it is, is but is he now because he hooked up with this person once upon a time and is still friends with her he has two choices not be friends with her anymore because of that or never date anyone again or keep it a secret from them there, wait there's a difference of being friends and, and best friend, friends yeah there's a difference between friends and friendly what <laughs> wait, what am i like not getting this yeah i don't know i'm just saying like being someone like all of a sudden i think when you're in a relationship with someone if you have a best female friend, you have to acknowledge that they're not the main girl in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's someone that you've hooked up with, if his current, if she's insecure and jealous, he needs to be very sensitive to that and hear right. what she's saying. Yes, he absolutely does. But he's been very honest with her about this. Mm-hmm. If she found out and he hadn't told her, different right, situation. Right, right. But he's being very upfront about it because it's so far in the past. I don't think he needs this girl as a best friend. 
That's all I'm saying. I, mean, I think you can be friends. I don't think he needs her as a best friend. Are like people supposed to come to relationships with like out any sexual history? With no, any- but I'm no, saying but you, you don't have to have like a best friend relationship. Like, like um, <sighs> if I had hooked up a real hookup with this person and then I was dating someone else, I wouldn't be hanging out with him constantly. Yeah. Okay. It made the other person insecure. Like I had a guy that I was like hooking up with for like months at a time. And after we ended things, I'm still friendly with him. When I see him at places, I'm like, Hey, how are you? Like, you know, not like going to the movies. Hell no. Yeah. I mean, this is a good point. (laughs) <laughs> How many friends do you need? Once you're in a relationship, I think you do call the herd a little bit yeah. in terms of friends. Yeah. And maybe the opposite sex ones kind of, that happens. I'm friends with all my exes and tons of guys. Amy <laughs> <laughs> Sugarman, she has been the... absent from our lives on I this know, podcast. And people are so aggro about this. They're like, you can't be friends with your ex and you can't blah, blah, blah if you have a boyfriend. It's like, you know what? You can do whatever you want. Whatever works for you. Like... Come on, let's just get in alignment and stay centered. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's peaceful today. Yeah. <laughs> got knocked out of my vortex a minute ago, but I brought my She's in. Oh, she's she's so zen. She came back. <laughs> she came back. Her chakras are aligned. <laughs> no mio ho renge kyo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys don't know that? No, no idea what you're talking about. Buddhist chant. No mio ho renge kyo. Okay. All right, one more from Nikita. Last August, her brother got married after six weeks of dating and two months of being engaged. I was vocal about my concerns and the red flags in the relationship. She left him two months later and stole his car and all the money in his bank account. What? Within a week before filing for an annulment, she started dating one of his old high school buddies. Eleven months later, she's engaged again to this friend. And they're getting married next month. So her question is, do I reach out to the new husband-to-be and let him know what she did to her brother? Yes. Or do I hang back, let nature run its course? It's not my place, but if I was engaged with someone like that, I'd want to know immediately SOS. This is a tough one for me. And you three, apparently, because I'm getting silence. Well, Brad has a strong thought. Yeah, Brad Brad immediately said yes, tell her. Yeah, I would. I would reach out and just, like, kind of. Give the four one one on what happened, because that's like somebody who's like a like um what do you call those uh, scam psychopath? Yeah, like a like a yeah, totally. Both of those. Yeah, both <laughs> psychopath and scam artist. My thing is, you don't owe this girl anything. Like, it's not like you need to be sensitive to her feelings or her like future of what could happen. So I would tell him. I would be like, listen, this is what happened with my brother. I know it's your your life, your decisions, but I just wanted to let you know what happened with with that situation that I was. That I witnessed. It's interesting she, she would go for the friend of the guy she did this to. But not to, her brother. Clearly he's going to know about oh. this. It's interesting that she'd go to somebody so close to the guy that she already ripped off. Yeah, that's not a good scam artist. No. Oh, yeah, she's <laughs> not a good scam <laughs> artist. It all seems really confusing and dark and weird, and I don't know if I would want any part of it. You're I'd be like Taylor Swift, and I'd be like, I just want to be excluded from this narrative. I get no, that, too. It. I get like, to stay out of it. Standpoint, I get it. No, no, she doesn't owe this. It's like, what? What does she have? That's what, what I'm saying. She, but like, but then she why? Might, like, the girl might come back and and scam her. That's her. That's what she has to lose. Yeah. But other than that, what well, does she yeah. have to lose by not saying anything? Nothing. Yeah, but what does but she have to lose if, by saying something? Right? She's not going to lose this either of these friendships. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like she's close to this guy. No. Like that she feels like she needs him in her life. She's just like trying to give him a friendly warning. You know what they say. Oh God! Loose lips sink ships. Oh, that's that's actually good. That wasn't made up from you. 
I don't think it's a pro- I don't know that it's appropriate for this conversation. <laughs> I don't either. But it's, it is it yeah. is a phrase. So <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. I don't know. It's like a one thing, right? Yeah. It has nothing to do with the situation. So Nikita, that's not official <laughs> advice. <laughs> that's more like gossip. Yeah. Yeah. So, this yeah. isn't gossip. Loose this is like real like life. I say tell him. I say tell him. I say too. tell him too. I say Taylor Swift it. Okay, three to one. Taylor Swift doesn't necessarily. She wants to be excluded from the narrative, but yeah. she's still part of the narrative. Yeah, but she because they're all still constantly writing songs about each other, <laughs> yeah. even though there's like no. It's, I can't. I can't. Can either. you imagine if that was your way of getting back? If somebody was like, "I'm gonna write a top ten single I about you." It. I would love it. <laughs> you know, I legit. Like, you know, I legit wrote a song after my big, big, big breakup. That's right. I legit wrote a song. And it's called, it was actually, so Demi Lovato wrote a song that got me through my breakup that was like, it was called, um, Lionheart? No, it's older than that. It was a song called, um, I'm, it's called In Case. So she talks about how she keeps his jacket just in case he comes back. Like Ooh. it's this like song called I keep it just in case. I wrote the follow-up to that Demi Lovato song. I actually told her about this too, by the way. Oh, but she weirded out. What was it called? No, I think she yes. like loved it, but like. I'm probably weirded out at the same time. Do I, you have this song that you could possibly sing for us next week? Yeah, I definitely have the lyrics. I definitely it's not on this computer. You're the writer, on, so you own the publishing. <laughs> yeah. Because then you can sing it on this show. Is it called yeah. Loose Lips Sync Ships? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what's it called? It's on it's my other computer, but I literally wrote pickle. it. So it was basically the follow-up to In Case. So if you've heard In Case. It's the follow-up, and I wrote it, and it was, like, the best therapy. I you wrote the lyrics. Is there a melody as well? No. Just I don't lyrics. know how to write so melodies. So it's a poem, essentially. It's essentially a poem, <laughs> but I was hoping one day to give it to, like, a songwriter and just, like, have them, because that would be so epic. I think that's all the tease we need for next week. Yeah, next like, what's left? And we also need to discuss Justin, Justin, Jason Tardick. Jason Tardick. I know. Tanya met Jason Tardick today. Yeah, it happened right before this podcast mm-hmm. began. Yeah, it was so good. Is I it though? Know. Oh. Uh, Mark and his effing. Like, Wait, this is so good. I lo- no, it's so annoying because, Wait. first of all, you were boohooing Bobby Bones. What's hey. a Bobby Bone? <laughs> you know. A Bobby Bones. What is that? I'll show you his photo. Is he on the back too? Radio no. Host, oh. Morning yeah. radio host and I want to say Washington, D.C.? Nashville. Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee? I'll tell you about it when we do our thing today. Okay. Y'all's new choreographed dance. There's a new dance a new coming. What, By the way, I was at a, a party on Saturday night and like so many people were, t- I was kept on texting Tanya. I'm like, people are asking me for another dance. And these aren't just people. These are like, Brad's dropping like, major names here he's like bloody blah, blah likes our dad. i was like okay fans what you're saying is the fans want more <laughs> they do <laughs> yeah i was uh, like how are these people how are we gonna do i'm stressed i think we'll figure it out okay so um our teasers for next week tanya's gonna bring in her uh song lyrics that's a big one yeah it's a follow-up to just in case or in case it's called in case in yeah. case yeah so, so brush up on that song if you haven't heard it demi lovato in case uh-huh brush part up two. on that part, part two, two by tanya rad week. yeah is there is the title written on the paper that you should find with the lyrics on oh it? yeah it's like the word okay, you just can't labeled. remember i just can't okay, remember that's okay it's i mean i'm looking years. forward to it to being excited to see what the title is 
Who could I slip it to to like have them make a Julia song? Julia Michaels. Yeah, right? Yeah. Or like um, Justin Tranter or something? Yeah, so that is something to look forward to. We'll hear, we'll have more of an update from the Jason thing because that segment will air when? It's already aired live this morning. Oh, it was this morning? Yeah. Okay, but the, uh, Men Tell All is tonight, so we'll have more of an opinion on that whole thing. But wow, strong opinions from Mark over in the corner. <laughs> I want what's best for Tanya. I do too. I think we That's all why know I'm, that. like fat. I'm like very, I like this. I'll just say one more thing. I've worked with radio people for 20 years. Get out of the pool. Oh. You're swimming with the wrong fish. Yeah. Dark. Dark. <laughs> no, he's being real. I like this. Uh, some quick shout outs before we go. Oh, have you rapped yet on this show, Becca? Because you, you were promising no, a rap at some point. I'm like the worst. I'm just the worst. Can we tease that for next week or will that be an unfulfilled tease? Wow. Can someone give me a song specifically to learn? I Do don't you want to like go it. old school? Uh, Tawny, give me a rap song to learn. Big Sean. Which Any one? Any Big Sean? Um, no, I New like Chun moves. Lee. Oh, that would be. Kind of epic. Which one? I got my teeth song. I got my teeth song. I got my teeth song. That would be something. That would be kind of amazing. Nicki Minaj. So good. Okay, okay, okay. You can do it. Chun Li. So good. Okay, that's the challenge for next week. Or Cardi. You could do Cardi. Well, Tiny's done Cardi a few times. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do Nicki. Yeah. Yeah. Seems uh Appropriate. Detailed. <laughs> seems detailed. Yeah, seems, seems appropriate. intricate. Yeah. Why? Because, like, I did Cardi. She gave oh, okay. Nikki. Oh, they're bat- rap battle. Yeah, rap, yeah battle. rap battle. Got it. Uh, Kimber right. Ray, as she listens to us right now, she's strolling around downtown Dallas on her lunch break. Isn't that nice? Hi. Kenzie Claus. Love the name of Kenzie Claus. She's laying by the pool in Lexington, Kentucky, because she's a teacher. She has summers off. Nice. nice. Here's another great name Aspen Van Otten. Oh, wow. I like the name Aspen a lot. Aspen's a very pretty name. She is moving to St. George, Utah to live with her boyfriend. They've been long distance for four years. Ooh, we need to, you need to have her on the show. We might yeah. want to talk to Aspen. Yeah. Mackenzie Richmond. She's sitting in her car sipping coffee in Bakersfield because she gets to her 8 a.m. class an hour early to get a good parking spot, and then she listens to she's scrubbing in before class starts. That's a very Brad Goreski move. <laughs> yeah. And Shelby Sprite is getting ready for work in Pendleton, Oregon. Know where Shelby works? A rodeo. No, she wow. does. She works at the rodeo. She's getting ready for work right now while she listens to Scrub again with Becca and Tanya. I guess you could. You can't say to her, I guess it's not your first time at the rodeo. <laughs> not her first it's rodeo. Literally that, not, right? She's at many, many rodeos. Because <laughs> she's there working. Right, I got yeah. it. <laughs> so it's not her first one. It's uh-huh. not her first rodeo. Right. Yeah. yeah. She's, so she's like well seasoned. She's yeah. a seasoned. Because she's been to right. so many uh-huh. of them. Yeah. We get yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we got all right. Well, on that note. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. That was really, it was heavy, but it was. It was um, very informative and I think enlightening helpful. Yeah. And helpful. And real. And encouraging. Yeah. And I Thanks. think relatable to so many people. Yeah. And helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. I was happy to share my story with you. Well, thank you. We love it. It goes on. To <laughs> be continued. She ain't done oh, yet. TBC. Uh-uh. TBC. Yeah. It's not my first time at the rodeo. <laughs> I like how you're adding first time at the rodeo. It's just not my first rodeo. But I like your extra added words in there. <laughs> what is it? It's like, it's not my first rodeo. But you're like, it's not my first, first time, time at, at the, the rodeo. rodeo. It's not. <laughs> that's like when somebody says, that's what he said last night. 
Instead of that's what he said or she exactly. said. Exactly. Oh, 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 yeah. Because then you, anyway. Okay, you want to call <laughs> yeah, time yeah. of death? Oh, yeah, call yes. time of death. 11, 57, 47. <laughs> well done. I don't know why I'm clapping. Like, why am I clapping? I was, like, clapping <laughs> at the end of a plane ride. <laughs>